This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. A large mushroom stuffed with ricotta and pesto was my mum's vegetarian specialty. Now, this was in the 80s, so it seemed pretty fancy at the time. Because when I was growing up, there was basically two types of mushrooms, well, two types that I knew of anyhow. There were button mushrooms and there were field mushrooms. But now, even at your most mainstream supermarket, you can find the most exotic of mushrooms. And if you're anything like me, I love mushrooms, but you either love them or you don't. And my family don't. So when I have those moments alone on the rare night that I can sit on the couch in my PJs, the dinner of choice is a huge bowl of garlicky chili fried mushrooms. But can you remember the advert? Mushrooms, they're meat for vegetarians. For whatever reason, I can always remember that ad. But mushrooms do have a kind of meaty texture, don't they? And it turns out just of late over the last six months, more and more of us are eating mushrooms for a variety of reasons, which we'll go into today. But for many of us, we're eating more mushrooms as a meat substitute due to cost. And fungi production, mushroom production across Australia and in particular here in Victoria and New South Wales is going through the roof. The value of the industry shot up about 25% between 2012 and 2020 and it's up to close to $400 million. So not only are we eating more mushrooms as a meat substitute due to cost of living, we're going to learn today that research is showing that mushrooms or elements of mushrooms could also help with memory and dementia. So these little powerhouse, aren't they, mushrooms? They can grow anywhere and quite quickly. I've heard of people growing them in apartments, in cupboards, taking out a section of T-shirts and popping in a little mushroom farm. And before you know it, you open up that cupboard door and it is full of mushrooms. So are you eating mushrooms? Are you eating them more? And are you eating them as a meat substitute? Are you growing mushrooms? And you know what? Just because it's Friday, if you have a simple mushroom recipe, we want to hear it. On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt. We're talking mushrooms today and you may have seen them out on your nature strip. They're starting to grow pretty much at the base of trees, wherever you are. If you're down at your local oval, you have to be very, very careful about just going and picking mushrooms. And we'll speak to a leading mushroom expert, a fungi ecologist, a little later in the program, because you can't just go and pick mushrooms and then eat them. You need to know what you're doing. But mushrooms sales are booming at the moment. They are through the roof and many of us for either health reasons, but many of us are eating them as a meat substitute. Meat is getting more expensive and we have less and less money to go around and to meet our weekly budgets. Maybe you're growing mushrooms. You don't have to have a veggie patch. You can grow them on balconies. You can even grow them in cupboards. one three hundred triple two seven seven four, and you can text as well, 0437 Oh, already some recipes coming in. 
We don't do many recipes on this show, but it's Friday and I'm hungry. So it's probably not a good combination. This, Rish, fried in butter on the top of a wood stove. I'd fill my bike basket with them on my way home as the bus dropped me off after school. I like collecting them, but not eating them. But my parents did. I somehow knew which the, which ones were the safe ones. However, I wouldn't dare do it now. One three hundred triple two seven seven four. Joseph Sestokis is well. He was once a police officer, and now he is a fungi grower. He is the founder of Flooding Creek Fungi in Sale. Joseph, a warm welcome to the Conversation Hour. How does a police officer become a mushroom farmer? Oh well, <laughs> hello, Rochelle. Um, you retire, so you've got time on your hands. Um, and uh, you think about something else you want to do while you got the energy. Um, yeah, you just start small, do a workshop. I did two workshops. I did the, both workshops with one of my sons. Um, come home and experiment. Go from there. Start small and get, get just take it up a scale and take it up a scale. That's what uh, most people do. So there must have been already a, a fascination with mushrooms in order to at least go and do that workshop and to think about this. So where did that start? Um, like one of your texters just said they went and picked them in the paddock. You know, I've seen them in the bush and in the in the horse paddock of the town where I grew up and uh, loved them when I was young and uh, never stopped the sort of appreciating fungi. What sort of mushrooms do you grow now? Well, it's mostly oyster mushrooms. Uh, occasionally we've done lion's mane and uh, shiitake. And why was it those particular mushrooms that you chose? Well, shiitake were the first ones that we did a workshop for and we grow them, <laughs> grew them out of logs um, outside. Then uh, did an, a, a workshop that they taught us how to grow oyster mushrooms. Um, I think I got some spawn at that workshop to grow lion's mane. If I didn't, I bought it after then. And you just try out different things. I probably tried out 20 different mushrooms and sort of we've, we've, we've settled on growing about eight at the moment because not all of them work where we are and sometimes you just can't grow them together. So are they simple enough to grow? I mean, I've heard stories, Joseph, where people thought, you know what, I might try and grow some mushrooms and start a little mushroom farm and pop them into a cupboard in their home, like in an apartment, and then forgot about them and opened up the cupboard <laughs> and there were quite a lot of mushrooms. Like they grow relatively easily and quickly if they're in the right environment. Oh, that's true. And they're, they're kind of robust. You know, they've been around for millions of years and doing their own thing and surviving through some pretty, uh, you know, changes in the in the environment uh, and, and probably changing with it. But uh, look, a lot of it can go wrong too as a grower and, uh, and it can throw you some curly ones. You're always fighting with contaminants and it's basically other fungi. You're creating the perfect condition for fungi to grow, but you don't want the competitors. Um, they get in sometimes and can wreak havoc. But a, a bunch of stuff can go wrong. Um it, it's uh, lion's mane, for instance. There's uh, the saying goes that it's uh, it's easy to grow. It's hard to grow uh, well consistently. Oh, I've experienced that. So where you are in Sale in Gippsland, I mean, it can be often um, quite moist and quite a wet area. Is Gippsland a, a good mushroom? Traditionally, a good mushroom growing area. I know growing up, my folks would pick mushrooms all the time, and I never forget. Uh, you know, it was very common practice for my nan and pa and my mum and dad and my aunties. They'd all fry up just big, huge field mushrooms and eat them when it was mushroom season. Is Gippsland relatively good soil? 
Yeah, it is good soil. Gippsland's got great soil. We don't grow them in soil, uh, but uh, yep. and and it is a good place. Like this time of year, I could probably turn off all the humidification and fans, and well, not so much the fans, but the temperature control and the grow rooms and the, my mushrooms would be happy as as it is. But it gets very hot in summer, and uh, our shed is built around insulating. Um, the heat out basically and keeping it cool think misty mountaintop and you've got the kind of um really where you want to be with the environment in a grow room so you don't grow them in soil what are you growing them in no we grow most of ours in straw at the moment i'm just draining the straw just uh, drained it before we got on the air and uh, about two hours from now i will mix the spawn into the straw and put it in bags then put them in the incubator for about four weeks and then when the mushrooms start coming out, walking them around to the grow rooms. And then, uh, you know, a week later, we're harvesting mushrooms from there. Gosh, they grow quickly, don't they? Did you ever think mm-hmm. that this would be your life, Joseph, that as a police officer that one day, you know, you'd be walking into your mushroom grow room, thinking about which restaurants might potentially want to be serving them and stocking them. Did you ever imagine that this is where you'd end up? Never, no, no. I was thinking about it on the very tail end of my um, working life, mind you. Like it was, a, there was an overlap there, but uh, no, not <laughs> not in my wildest dreams. And this is the good part about life: you just don't know what you know sort of opens up. I looked at uh, you know who else was growing in this area, and nearly no one was. So it was wide open. And you've got the family involved as well. You mentioned your son before. Is this growing? Is your, if you don't mind the pun, Joseph? Is is the business growing? And is it growing? faster and bigger than what you expected? It has grown, for sure. We've gone through sort of like a initial um, setup that, you know, it was one room and it wasn't ra- it wasn't very large. It's about as big as your normal sort of bathroom, but uh, for, for grow room space, which is, then becomes limiting, then, you know, we've decided this isn't good, big enough. We've quadrupled from there about a year and a half ago uh, to a shed that's got two grow rooms in it. Um, we've just decommissioned the old grow room, you know, uh, and uh, because it was good to sort of have as a fallback if things went wrong. But now we've got two grow rooms. If one sort of something goes wrong, you just move the wow. fruiting bags around to the other one. And we did that the other day. Well, I have to ask you, is there a favourite way to cook them? Oh, for sure. It's just pull them apart. Um, don't You don't need to cut them up with a knife unless they're king oysters. Uh, and yeah, just and shred them to the, s- the smallest you like and throw them into a hot pan with with uh, oil or butter or oil and butter, um, garlic, salt, pepper, thyme and mushrooms are made for each other and just fry them, um, flip them around and throw them on some toast or mm. with some fried eggs or something like this and, yeah, just have them like that. That's the best. I also just squeeze some lemon juice on them as I'm finishing it off. It deglazes the pan. It gives it a bit of a tang. Um, yeah, just dreamy. The saliva is building in my mouth. Absolutely delicious. I just think it's wonderful. Is it as just finally, Joseph, because I know you've got to get to your grow room, but, I mean, it looks like it would be a really lovely kind of relaxing (laughs) job to have. I mean, is there any stress around being a mushroom farmer? It sort of feels like this idyllic lifestyle to have. Yeah, look, yeah, I think in some respects, you know, living the, the, the... The dream sort of job for some people, I've certainly talked to some people, are very envious of what, what we do. It's got its moments and it can be anxiety about, I can't get the right straw. You know, look, it's seasonal and, and things happen. There are droughts and you you were after certain things and the, shop, the places you go to don't have them. That can be the grains that we make the spawn out of. We ran into problems lately with that. We had to switch up grains to a different grain. You know, sometimes you just roll with it and find a different solution. There are alternatives, you know, but... Um, 
and then you get a contamination problem in the works and you, you, it can shut you down. It can, you know, you have to sort of take everything apart and scrub it and, and, mm-hmm. and start again. It's that, that can be tedious and laborious and it is hard. It is, there are moments of hard work, but having said that, you know, I don't probably work much more than four hours a day on it, but you do work seven days a week and it's like a little bit like milking cows. I don't, I'm not saying you have to be there every day. And we've been away for one or two nights at a time, but you, we haven't been having a holiday for four years yes, in proper sense. it's like having a, a puppy dog. That's what I tell my daughter anyhow. If mm-hmm. you have a puppy dog, you can't go on holidays. So if you grow mushrooms, you can't go on holidays. That's the reality, yeah? Mm-hmm, yep. <laughs> <laughs> They're like a pet, but very, very tasty. And that sounded incredibly wrong, and I didn't mean it to. Hey, Joseph, <laughs> have a wonderful weekend. It's been lovely speaking with you. Thanks so much. Oh, likewise. Thanks, Rochelle. Bye-bye. That's Joseph Sestokas. He's from Flooding Creek Fungi. wasn't that long ago. He was a police officer, retired. What a wonderful way to spend some time. Plenty of texts coming in on this. Hey, Rish, great conversation around mushrooms. However, I can't stand them due to the particular taste and texture. Is there any way to change the latter? That's from Paul. I don't know, but we might find out from some of our guests a little later. And this saying, Rish, my husband is allergic to mushrooms. I find their use as a meat substitute really challenging because they're sneaking mushrooms into more and more things. Also, because it's obscure, so many restaurants don't actually believe his mushroom allergy and just assume that it's a preference. It's only when we use the term anaphylactic that they're sometimes taken seriously. That's from Sophie in Bendigo. We'll be speaking to the CSIRO a little later about some of the research that they've been doing into mushrooms as well. Are you growing them? Are you eating them as a mushroom substitute? And if you've got to cook a quick, good, easy mushroom recipe, flick that through as well. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt. Well, they're tasty. They're easy to grow, apparently. And it turns out they might be good for your memory. Today, we are talking about mushrooms. Sales are through the roof. Our fungi production is through the roof as well. More and more of us are turning to mushrooms as a form of meat substitute. one three hundred triple two seven seven four. Barry's called us. And Barry, I believe you're in hospital. You're calling us from hospital. Good morning. Yeah, calling from Tension Hospital. I've got COVID. Oh, gosh. I hope you're okay. Oh, uh, I thought I, that's why my voice was a bit hoarse. Yeah, well, I, I used to live in Flemington and I, I used to have a, a, a bat. You know, those big useless dogs? Yes. <laughs> they are useless and they sleep that's all sweet, day. Yes. They do nothing. They do nothing. And I'm walking in one day. I used to walk in and that, and he's, uh, he's gone for this mushroom that's going out in the middle of the grass, so I've just got along. I got there before he did, and I squashed it so he couldn't eat it. And ever since that happened, I've, I used to see him around trees growing, and I'd just squash them because in, in case some little kid came along and ate them before, mm. and not realising that they're uh, poisonous. That's right. And I actually feel like either I'm paying more attention, but I'm seeing more and more on just nature strips and in public places. And you have to be really careful. You can't just pick any old mushroom, even if you think you know. And that's what they do anything. They can get their laughing gear around, you know. Yeah. Hey, Barry, uh, you rest up while you're in hospital, but at least you've got some company, hey, listening to ABC Radio Melbourne while you're in there. Yeah, right. Good on you, mate. Take care. Rest up. Flavia Fayette-Moore is a nutritionist with Nutrition Research Australia. And Flavia, talking mushrooms, I know, is a topic that you're more than happy to speak about. And 
it's something that we know uh, they are really, really good for us. In your research, what have you discovered about the actual qualities, the nutritional qualities in mushrooms? Hi, Rochelle. It's, um, I'm very excited to talk about mushrooms and nutrition. They are so unique. They're actually not a vegetable. So we often think of them as vegetables, but because they're fungi, right, they come with all these amazing, not only vitamins and minerals, but unique compounds that aren't really found in other foods because they're unique to, to fungi. So they're very nutritious in terms of rich in vitamins and minerals and not the typical ones you'd expect from vegetables. Like there's selenium, there's vitamin D naturally in mushrooms, which we often can only really get in diet from animal foods. So um, and they have the all the vitamin- B vitamins and other, and other nutrients as well and phosphorus, potassium. So they're very nutrient rich. Are we talking about, I mean, as someone who was just recently told that I was low in vitamin D and then you think, oh, that's just because I'm not getting enough sunshine. I was told that there's probably what weren't a lot of foods that would give you vitamin D. Um, would I have to just eat mushrooms, breakfast, lunch and dinner in order to get decent amounts yeah, of no, mushrooms? Yeah, no, you actually don't. So uh, mushrooms naturally contain vitamin D. It's about two to three micrograms. So for most Australians, the recommended intake up to 50 years of age is five. So just having about three to five mushrooms, depending on the size, gives you that amount. A day. You can also boost it naturally Mm -hmm. by putting them in the sun, which is that unique ability that they have being fungi, so they can make vitamin D, like boost the amount, just like we make in our skin. Really? Yes. It's it's so incredible. (laughs) So you can take a vitamin D rich food like mushrooms, put it in the sun so that it absorbs more vitamin D and then consume it. So basically mushrooms have a compound just like our skin and the one in mushrooms is called ergosterol. When the UV light from the sun hits it, it converts it naturally to vitamin D and it converts and makes a lot. So for every single Australian, if you put about three mushrooms in the sun for about 15 minutes most of the year, it produces 100% of your daily requirements, even for any age, up to the 70 plus, who have a much higher requirement for vitamin D, which is 15 micrograms. Not only so am I going to really start doing solution. that, I'm, I'm going to tell everybody I know to start doing that. That is the best piece of information I've ever received. <laughs> I just find that incredible. There's lots of texts sort of coming in talking about, well, I don't like how mushrooms taste. You know, they taste dirty or too earthy or I don't mm-hmm. like the texture of them. Is I guess there are a way of navigating that in some way. Well, I guess um, for for people that don't like the taste, you don't have to eat it. <laughs> but if you do want to, I guess, reap the benefits of the vitamin D and the other compounds in mushrooms like the glutamates, which are natural flavor enhancers, I guess it's being able to use it for its versatility and add it to different recipes. So a really popular way is to replace some of mince in a dish like bolognese or a burger with mushrooms. Because they have that unique compounds like chitin, which is kind of like the, the cell wall of plants, but it's the equivalent of cell wall of fungi, um, it gives it that meaty texture that, um, that really mimics meat. Um, and you don't notice that you're replacing the mince for some mushrooms. So, so a way would be to do that. We, we start with small amounts. Yeah. Right? Because then you're boosting the nutrition of the meal, but at the same time, replacing some of that meat. Because quite often with particular vegetables, if you then, you know, if you're adding sauce and onions and all sorts of things, I would have thought that you're then stripping whatever that nutrient is 
out of the vegetable, even though we've learned today that mushrooms aren't a vegetable. But <laughs> so correct. you can add them and cook them and do all sorts of things to them and still get the vitamin D and all of the other nutrients. Yes, 100%. So some vitamins and minerals are slightly destroyed with cooking. Some aren't. So most minerals aren't. They're retained because they're minerals. You can't really change them. Um, vitamin D is a little bit decreased with cooking, but you just cook it at a lower heat. Um, and regardless, it's don't worry about it. Just have the food. <laughs> don't worry about the intricacies of how much is you know in it. As long as you're eating it, mm. it's adding to your to your nutrition in your diet. So this has been an incredible study that you've been on. This has been a part of a, a three year project where you've been collating evidence on where mushrooms should fit into our dietary requirements and our guidelines. So it was kind of light and fun as this conversation sounds. There is a huge body of research that you have now, Flavia, to, I guess, give us, because when we talk about preventative medicine in society now and how Mm -hmm. we need to take our health seriously right from the beginning, not once we get sick, our diet is the fundamental, is uh, the fundamentals of that. Where would you like to see or how seriously would you like to (laughs) see the benefits of mushrooms taken? Well, I think it's um, vitamin D is probably one of the best ways to showcase um, the uniqueness of mushrooms in our guidelines and fundamentally to nutrition. So currently, as the dietary guidelines exist, if you were to eat 100% exactly as it says, what is the one nutrient that you're not going to meet? Guess. Mm. <laughs> vitamin D. So the current guide, even if you were to eat 100% perfectly, we cannot get enough. So, but by adding, instead of, instead of one of the five serves of vegetables, if you swap one for mushrooms, we can actually get almost everyone meeting their vitamin D requirements. And that's really powerful when we know that vitamin D is not only essential for bone health, but it's also involved in hundreds of reactions in the body. It's technically even thought of as a hormone rather than a real vitamin. So it has multiple um, you know, mechanisms in the body to improve health from immunity to bone health to cancer. We're learning more and more cardiovascular disease, diabetes. And it's the one thing that we can't get from diet because we assume we can get it from the sun. But in Australia, many people are working indoors. They're just not getting the sunlight. You're avoiding it because of skin cancer. And now we're seeing deficiency rates, you know, as high as one in four Australians. So it's a real problem that we can solve with diet. So I think it definitely fits within the guidelines, getting more mention within the vegetable groups or, or wherever it would suit to really showcase that it does not only provide the vitamin D, but other nutrients wow. that people aren't getting enough, like selenium, copper, and so on. People's minds are blown. This text <laughs> says, I will be adding sun-boosted mushrooms to the family meals tonight. What a top tip. Thank you so much. Honestly, it is incredible to know that a simple change like that could prevent so many different types of illnesses and diseases. Mike's in Ballarat and he has a question saying, can you please ask if a mushroom in the field, does it get the vitamin D or does it need the boost of 15 minutes in the sun just before you eat it? <laughs> Good question. No, it would get the vitamin D from the sun already. So if you're, and especially if you if you buy sun-dried mushrooms as well, they already have the vitamin D um, boosted already. Um, so yes, it definitely if it's in the field and it's being exposed to UV light, it will make vitamin D. But if it then goes in the fridge, gets a little bit gnarly, do you need to take it back out and pop it in the sun? 
No, no. So once you've put it in the sun, you can put it in the fridge and the vitamin D lasts up to eight days, which is the shelf life of the mushroom anyway. So you don't have to do it before you cook. You can do it and forget about it. And when you feel like having your mushrooms, cook it up and enjoy. I know parents are very good at hiding vegetables in lots of different foods for children, but I feel like now mushrooms should be, unless you're allergic to them, of course, should be the one food that we are hiding in everybody's food to try and get these incredible nutrients that they're giving us. Just finally, Flavia, how do you like to eat your mushrooms? I I love them just pan fried with extra virgin olive oil. It's my favorite. And sometimes a bit of garlic powder added to it. Well, I, as I said, I just yesterday was told I had a vitamin D deficiency and today I'm learning this information. I feel like we were destined (laughs) to talk (laughs) today, Flavia. Thank you so much. What would you like to see done with your research? I mean, more people need to be able to see this and and read this from school canteens through to um, hospitals. Yes, exactly. I would love to see um, chefs and anyone in food service implementing something so simple that can have a huge impact on people's health. So potentially, you know, thinking about mushrooms on menus in nursing homes, in hospitals, even within food service. Of course. um, Right, because it's something very small. And, And the beauty of it from a food service perspective is that it enhances flavor. Mushrooms are natural glutamates and they're flavor enhancers. So by combining mushrooms, it gives that umami savory flavor that makes whatever else you're, you're, you're eating taste even better. So not only are you getting a nutrition boost, but it's also a culinary boost to your meal by enhancing flavor naturally. Emma's in Altona Meadows and she says, I'm on my way home, but I've literally just diverted my journey to the supermarket <laughs> to, go buy some, to go buy some mushrooms. I think there'll be lots of people doing that. I had planned to make pizza tonight and there will be mushrooms on my half anyhow. I have to find a way to sneak them into the rest of the family. And Michelle, if people don't want to put in the sun, there are vitamin D mushrooms you can buy where the growers have already exposed them to the UV light. Thank you so much for your time and your mm-hmm. research. Thank you very much. Flavia Fayette Moore, she's a nutritionist with Nutrition Research Australia. And this text says it depends on how low your vitamin D is with your blood tests. Mine was so low I needed to boost it with a tablet. Now, I am not saying don't take your vitamin D tablets, right? And replace them with mushrooms. This is not about me giving you any advice. But how fascinating is it to learn after three years of research, and that's how long it took for Flavia to collate all of those evidence to find out where mushrooms should be used more. And the idea of Maybe yes, like she said, ensuring that they go into menus at, say, nursing homes. I just find that incredible. Liz is in Geelong. Hi, Liz. Hello. What's your mushroom recipe? Well, at the moment, I've got a very large pot of mushroom soup in my fridge. Delicious. From gathered mushrooms. And I know they're okay because I go there every year and gather them. So the recipe is just mushrooms, potato, garlic and onion and then breveled up. Have you been cooking that dish for years, Liz? Not soup, but I've, you know, always had mushrooms one way or another. Everything I eat just about has mushrooms. Well, after everything we've just heard, it's tick, tick, tick. You're going to have bone health, vitamin D, all sorts of things. And as we'll find out a little later, it might even help improve your memory. So that mushroom soup is doing you wonders. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria.
So mushrooms, we're eating more of them as meat substitutes and the CSIRO has done research into the fact that they're potentially going to help with your memory as well. We'll speak to them in just a moment. But we couldn't talk mushrooms without speaking to Alison Puglio. She's an ecologist and an environmental photographer with an incredible focus on fungi. And I swear, Alison, every time I call you, you are out somewhere foraging in some gorgeous part of Victoria. Where, <laughs> where are you today? I'm just on the way to Beechworth. I'm working up there at the Northeast Festival of Fungi that's over the next couple of weeks. So I'm just out in the bush at the moment doing some reckeys for our field site. So absolutely streaming sunshine, perfect autumn weather for mushrooms and mushrooms everywhere. So it's pretty damn good. Oh, what a sight. So what sort of mushrooms are you looking at at the moment? Well, all kinds of things. There's some growing on old logs like jellies. There's others sprouting out from the base of trees like you mentioned earlier. There's mushrooms pretty much growing whatever substrate you've got, whether it's a wallaby scatter or an old log or soil, you've got fungi growing out of them. So you're about to head to a festival of mushrooms. I mean, I sort of feel like there's an organic festival of mushrooms, again, if you don't mind the pun, happening just in society at the moment. Production of mushrooms or fungi is through the roof. We are consuming more and more. Have you sort of noticed that, though, more so over the last five or ten years, that we not only have more varieties available, that more and more of us are eating mushrooms and eating them as one of our main ingredients? Absolutely. I think there's been a real fungal turn or mushroom awakening, as I sometimes refer to it. And I think it's even in a shorter amount of time. I think even the last two or three years, it's absolutely skyrocketed. And I think, you know, there's so many different reasons why we might want to consider reducing our meat intake, whether they're environmental reasons or human health reasons. But I think, you know, fungi offer a really easy alternative in terms of, you know, as you mentioned, growing them at home is not that difficult and they grow quickly. The thing where we talk about them as being a meat substitute, I think, isn't probably quite right because that means that I guess that assumes it has a, they have a similar protein content, which isn't the case. But they do certainly have that wonderful textural and flavoral similarity to meat. Mm. The things where they where they have so much appeal. That's the wonderful thing about them. They are so flavoursome and but the other thing I also think with, with fungi you've got to be a little bit careful of is that they are high in something called chitin, as your last speaker mentioned. And chitin isn't always that easy to digest. So I think the thing about mushrooms, think of them as an, an additive or as a not an additive, but as a not not as the main part of the meal. Use them to enhance a meal. But I think if mushrooms became the main part of your diet they are pretty tough to digest. There was a lot of questions talking about, I guess you're so right in that as a meat substitute, it's not for protein, it's more for texture. And there were yes, questions yeah. along the lines of, do we get protein from mushrooms? And the answer is no, not really. Look, there is some protein in mushrooms and the, the prominent British mycologist, David Moore, he says that, you know, they probably have about twice the protein of most fresh vegetables, but that's still only a fraction of what you'd find in meat. But I, I don't think people are eating them for that protein content. As you know, as I was saying, I think it's really about that, those wonderful umami flavours and the textural qualities. And as you mentioned, there was once just a couple of varieties you could buy in the supermarket. And now there's literally dozens of different fungi you can buy and they're amazing textures and colours and forms and shapes. There's a whole new micro-cuisine, as I call mm. it, and you're seeing this pop up in restaurants everywhere. And I think also another thing I love about this increase in the culinary value of fungi is that it expands people's perception of why they matter in the environment. So it often leads to an ecological interest as well. So that's the part that really excites me. So given that we have 
this interest at the moment and some of them look beautiful and there's nothing more than being somewhere as gorgeous as where you are at the moment, Alison Puglio, and being able to walk through fields and different forests and be able to absorb nature on the weekend or wherever it may be. We have to be really, really careful about what we're foraging and and what we're picking. And I guess there is some concern, and I'm even slightly concerned, that people might think this is a great thing to do and it's cheap and it's a great way to get back to nature. But you need to know what you're doing or you need to be with an expert in order to just go and pick field mushrooms. Absolutely. Unfortunately, there is a lookalike or several lookalikes to the field mushroom that have very subtle differences. And so you have to know what those differences are. I always say to people, when you're starting to become a forager, just practice the idea of slow mushrooming. You know, Go really slowly, learn just one edible species and learn it in all its permutations and combinations, different developmental stages, how it changes and how it looks, its colour, its form with exposure to different weather. But then also alongside learning that edible mushroom, Learn the toxic lookalike species or the doppelganger. Know those how you can differentiate those characteristics that can make you 100% sure you've got the edible one, not the toxic lookalike species. And we know at this time of year the increases to the Poisons Information Centre, so yeah. the increases in calls are, are happening. And so, look, if you just focus, I think the biggest trap is to try and forage for, you know, a dozen or so different edible species. If you just focus on one each season and get that one down pat and be absolutely sure you can recognise it, it's not that hard, but the the, tra- the trap is when you try and learn a whole lot of different species and then all the lookalikes as well. So I'd say go slow, be very systematic in how you identify them, you really know what you're doing and you know always exercise a precautionary principle and you won't be one of those people ring the poisons in first time. No, absolutely not. And Alison Polio, as an ecologist, so there's the benefits of mushrooms in our diet and what we've been learning uh, about everything from vitamin D to memory. They play an incredible role in our ecology, don't they? and having mushrooms, whether it be for soil health or for just that local habitat. What are mushrooms teaching us and how vital are they for our local ecology? Oh, look, they're absolutely essential. I mean, they pretty much underpin the healthy functioning of almost every terrestrial ecosystem on the planet. So without the fungi, we don't have the plants. We don't <laughs> we don't exist, basically. But what's wonderful is I've been working with all kinds of regen farmers and lots of other people, permaculturalists, horticulturalists, people working on the land, rangers, First Nations people. And I think there's a huge new awareness of just how important they are in putting that structure, that architecture in the soil with their mycelium, not the mushrooms, but the actual uh, the actual fungus organism itself. They're filtering water, they're connecting up plants, supplying nutrients, supplying water. But most importantly, they're decomposing or recycling organic matter. So they're unlocking the nutrients that are locked up in those recalcitrant structural components of wood like lignin and cellulose. Plants can't actually access those nutrients unless they've got the fungi to break those down and release them. So they're fundamentally important in terms of making nutrients available to plants, putting architecture, aerating soils, allowing water to gently move through soils. And this is where we're seeing many farmers say, hang on a minute, we lost all of this function when we chilled our fields. We now have to use fertiliser and irrigation. How can we get the fungi back into agricultural soils again? So I think it's a really exciting time, Rochelle, as thinking is changing about trying to restore those fungal ecologies within soils. Absolutely. Have we seen, I feel like either I'm paying more attention, but I feel like I'm seeing more varieties, more interesting varieties, and just even in suburban Melbourne, are there more introduced fungi species that maybe we don't want in Victoria? Or are there, for whatever reason, 
more types of mushrooms? Look, I I think there's several things going on there. I think we've had a lot of effort to try and regenerate areas, revegetate with with local Indigenous vegetation. So we're seeing that, you know, the the fruits of doing that. You see people, particularly around inner Melbourne, actually, instead of having the grassy nature strip, they're planting out grasses and putting down organic matter. So you're probably seeing more for that reason. The second part of your question, like some plants and animals, when we create a particular set of conditions that favours one species, it can become problematic. And that's happening with fungi as well. So there are a couple of species of fungi that we're trying to track their whereabouts to determine are they increasing distribution, are they threatening the local native species. So certainly we we have to sort of watch how we manage environments because sometimes what we end up doing, we can easily scapegoat the fungus as the cause of the problem. Whereas in actual fact, what we do is we might change conditions, for example, by raking up all that organic matter or blowing away those leaves or disturbing the soils. We create conditions that favour one species that then becomes problematic, but it's actually a symptom of a changed environment rather than a cause of the problem, if that makes sense. I love that you're telling us all of this literally standing in a <laughs> in a field surrounded by mushrooms, Alison Pulio. I've got a question from Dale in Fish Creek, which we'll get to in just a moment. So, Dale, stay with us. But, Alison, I guess mushrooms, they are these little beacons that grow up and they're our indicators. They are telling us the story of what lies beneath. So we should be taking them quite seriously. Absolutely. I think they reflect a lot about the condition of the soil and generally speaking, the the greater the diversity, that is the number of different species that you see in your garden or the local park or environment, usually that's the reflection of the more healthy or resilient the system is. So when we have a, a very modified system, we might only see one or two or three types of mushrooms pop up. But when you see this great diversity of different species, when you can retain that organic matter of different sizes, shapes, ages, species, you'll get more fungi that do more processes that, that basically contribute to the resilience mm. and robustness of that garden or system. Dale's in Fish Creek. He has a question for you, Alison. Morning, Dale. Morning. Um my um, I pick mushrooms around here, and I've got a um, uncle, which is elderly, and he reckons if you can't peel them, you can't eat them. If you can't peel a mushroom, you can't eat them, as in they're poisonous. Okay. Yeah. Alison, is there any truth in that? Look, there's some really wonderful old adages and idioms and rules of thumb. Unfortunately, that, that idiom doesn't apply in all places. So if you reverse that, for example, you can peel a death cap perfectly. <gasps> Okay, and you don't ever want to eat a death cap. So unfortunately, where these idioms arose, there was probably some truth. But what happens is then we translocate that idea. I mean, maybe in Fish Creek in the back paddock there, that was true. But when we generalise that to another ecology, another set of fungi, another situation, climate, soils, whatever, unfortunately, they don't hold true. So I hear lots of them, if the gills are pink or if you can peel it or it's growing under a tree or whatever. But unfortunately, that doesn't, doesn't have any relationship to edibility or toxicity. You have to be able to definitively go through the diagnostic features to identify that mushroom then consult a field guide or an expert who can say whether it's edible or toxic. And just finally, Alison, as you're heading off to the Festival of Fungi, is there anything other than some spectacular mushrooms that will be there and on display? Is there anything happening there that you're really looking forward to, that there's some advances in how we look or use mushrooms, what we're growing, How anything at the, at the festival that you're really excited about? I'm excited about 
all of it, Rochelle. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> it, runs, it runs over two weeks. We've got workshops, we've got forays, we've got projections of the, the children who've made mushroom videos in the area. We've got book launches, we've got mushroom feasts and all of it. I just can't wait for all of it. It's it's, a, it's right across uh, Beechworth, Woorajin in the following weekend. It's in Yaroa and Strathbogie and there's about oh, a dozen events altogether. And then there's multiple more mushroom festivals this season as well. One also on the southeast coast of New South Wales. I've just come from one in Orange. So yeah, there's loads. I think everyone's, you know, busting to have their local mushroom festivals. So it's just wonderful to see this increase in interest. And and thank you for your support and oh, interest in getting always. the word out there. No, it's so great. And the fact that, you know, sometimes we can't get a phone line working in downtown Brunswick and the fact that you're in the middle of a, a forest in <laughs> Beechworth foraging for mushrooms at the moment, we're able to speak to you clearly. It's wonderful. Enjoy the festival and forage safely. Alison, thank you. Thanks so much, Rosal. Have a great day. Alison Paulio, she's an ecologist. Her work is incredible. So she's an environmental photographer. She has a focus on fungi and lots of people asking, how can I get in touch with Alison? And she's got details. She has a, a spectacular website where you can see some of the, her photographs and work. And if you want to reach out to her, you can. It's Alison Paulio and it's spelled P-O-U-L-I-O-T. Let's have a chat with Steve, who's in Meetung. Hey, Steve. Thanks for taking me call. No worries. Like your, your, your mushrooms. Yeah. I get I get the large brown ones. Yeah. I peel them, and then I cook them in, in a bit of oil in the pan, not uh, sunny side up type of thing. Then I get some baby um, asparagus. I blanch them, cut the heads off, put the heads inside the mushroom. I get a little bit of bacon, no fat in it, a couple of strips, put that on top of that. I get some nice bit of cheese, put on top of that. And underneath the grill, Delicious. they are absolutely beautiful. Oh, they are absolutely fantastic. You should see the stupid grin on my face right about now. That's delicious. Are you going to eat that tonight? No, I haven't. No, I haven't fishing chips tonight. I'm, oh. I'm cooking around fishing chips, but oh, I, I, I haven't. I haven't I have them once a week, I do, my wife and I, and we absolutely love them. Oh, homemade fish and chips too. There's nothing better than we put a lot of effort into our Friday night meal as well. So we don't do takeaways like let's make pizza or whatever it is. There's something special about your, the Friday night meal, Steve, isn't there? Yeah, well, I, I, we uh, grow our own potatoes. So I cut my own potato cakes and I learn how to freeze them. And then I, I go fishing, of course. So I got whiting and snapping and um, gummy in the freezer and I got the white here, so I'm having whiting with uh, potato cakes tonight and my own potato cakes. You make your own potato cakes. What's your batter? Yeah. What do you do with your batter on your potato cakes? Uh, I just use uh, self-rising flour. Yeah. Um, I put um, uh, soda water in it, mix it up very, very not hard, just softly. And I put a bit of yellow food dye in it to make the fish look yellow. And then I put them in the fish for four or five hours, which I'm going to do in a few minutes. And then when you take them out, you give it a whisk up, have the oil about 170, 180 degrees, and then uh, just blanch all your potato cakes first oh. and take them out. And then I do the fish straight away, then blanch the uh, potato cakes, and they come up absolutely Perfect. Oh, Steve, you are going to have a line of people at your place tonight, mate. <laughs> They're going to rock up for food. That sounds absolutely delicious. 
Oh, this text. Rich, I make a lovely baked risotto with mushrooms and bacon. I fold the baby spinach through with parmesan just before serving. Yum, says Judy in Mount Eliza. Balsamic mushrooms with sticky balsamic. That gives them the most amazing and delicious flavour. And another, sourdough and eggs in the balsamic mushrooms. I forgot to add that particular bit, Rish. Sue's in Heidelberg. Hi, Sue. Hey there. What's your recipe? My recipe is just quickly um, throw some olive oil and some butter, parsley and crushed garlic into a saucepan and Mm -hmm. add two peeled chopped raw potatoes and a couple of handfuls of whichever mushrooms you like. Then you just whisk it around in the saucepan. It just goes all golden and add your stock, whether that's chicken or if you're a vegetarian, you can just add boiling water in a stock cube and to the thickness that you like and then you bar mix it. So I use my bar mix and then I throw sour cream in at the last minute to serve it. It's delicious and now we know it's nourishing. Now that's exactly right. And there's nothing like a stick blender. If it's all gone pear-shaped, you just, you know, blend it all up and it makes (laughs) (laughs) makes everything okay. Sue, thank you. Pete's in Thornbury. I think I have to agree with Pete. He says there is no doubt the single best use for mushrooms is on a great capriciosa pizza. Plenty of olives, salami and anchovies. Spectacular. Coming up in just a moment, the CSIRO has been looking into how potentially elements of mushrooms can help with our memory. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning, my name is Rochelle Hunt and we're talking about mushrooms. Earlier we were talking about vitamin D and the amount of vitamin D you can and can't get from mushrooms and putting them out in the sun increases the mushrooms. Of course, if you have a vitamin D deficiency, we are not giving you any advice here. You need to speak to your local doctor and uh, make sure that you do what they actually say you need to do. Guests here saying that you need to be really careful with vitamin D, the main form of vitamin D2. We have blood tests for vitamin D that will measure D3. Uh, Someone could eat lots and lots of mushrooms and the effect on their vitamin D blood test results would not show up. The vitamin D2 may still be doing the job in our body, but the caution is that you cannot impact that in blood tests that we're trying to defeat when we're trying to treat a deficiency. But as I said earlier, always consult with your doctor. Well, the CSIRO have been investigating whether or not particular parts of mushrooms can help with our memory and even our mood. Dr. Naomi Kokoski is a senior research scientist at CSIRO. And Naomi, we have been learning so many fascinating things about mushrooms today. And when we talk about mood and memory, I think we all want those to be improved in some way. Tell us a little bit about the research you've been doing. Hi, Rochelle. It's lovely to be speaking with you today. And I've also enjoyed hearing all of the previous speakers. I've certainly got a few new recipe ideas. (laughs) Exactly. I'll I'll tell you a bit more about the research that we're doing. So as we've heard, mushrooms have a range of health benefits. And we know that there's also a link between eating mushrooms and good brain health. And this is because mushrooms contain high levels of ergothionine or as we call it, ergo, which is a little bit easier to say. Um, So ergo is thought to act as an antioxidant and an anti-inflammatory compound, but there's also some ideas that it might have neuroprotective benefits. So studies have shown that ergo decreases with age and in people with impaired cognitive function. We also know that having a high intake of mushrooms is linked with a lower rate of dementia. 
So we're currently running a clinical trial to determine the effects of consuming a biosynthetic form of ergo on cognitive function in the general population. So it's important to distinguish that the form of ergo we're testing is manufactured to contain yes. this single ingredient. Yeah, so it's not specifically derived from mushrooms, but we do know that mushrooms have high levels. So it's not like ergo. the clinical trial is forcing people to eat mushrooms for breakfast, lunch and dinner for six weeks or whatever it may be. But it's still fascinating research, isn't it, looking at whatever it, the ergo that you're talking about that you've been able to derive from mushrooms. How did this get discovered? What, what happened? Yeah, so uh, we basically there was research to um, find out that mushrooms contain this really high level of um, ergo but that it can also be manufactured to contain um, basically to create contain a product that has even higher levels of ergo than what you would see in in mushrooms and there is this evidence to suggest that it might have these sort of neuroprotective uh, benefits. So it actually can have some impacts on brain health. So we're currently looking at the benefits of four months of daily consumption of this ergo ingredient on people who are reporting memory complaints. So they're starting to experience some um, issues with their memory as many of us would, mm. um, particularly as we're getting older. But they're otherwise healthy. So, the, you know, this is a fairly common thing, actually, that we see as people age. They're starting to have these issues with their memory. So it's really looking at whether ergo could actually be used almost in um, preventing wow. sort of the onset of, yeah, further cognitive decline or experiencing further issues with memory as people get older. So is that just natural memory decline that you're looking at with this trial or is this for someone that may be predisposed to dementia or is it, can it be used in both areas or is it more of a common memory loss? It could potentially be, be used in both areas. So potentially in healthy populations or perhaps in people that are at risk of dementia. So here we are just looking at the general population. So people who are otherwise healthy, uh, we don't necessarily know that they have a risk of dementia, but certainly as we're starting to see accelerated um, decline in memory, say compared to people of a similar sort of age group, um, then potentially there could be some issues there for them down the track um, as, yeah, as they get older. So we're looking to try and intervene sort of earlier on. And I wonder, I mean, there's always going to be someone that's going to jump onto research like this because it's interesting. There's a text here that says, I've got a particular cultured lion's mane fungi in the fridge. I'd like to know if that's worth cooking to reduce onset of Alzheimer's as it's advertised. So, so you have to be then careful about products that will start to say that eat this and it will help reduce uh, your memory or help keep you know dementia uh, at bay. This is what you're talking about is actually a manufactured product with these particular ingredients so we do have to be careful about what people are pushing and telling us absolutely and to that point at the csiro our research scientists work closely with commercial companies to conduct human clinical trials so we're trying to provide a clear understanding of how nutritional products impact on health we know that there's a myriad of health claims that are being made about uh, nutritional products, whether that's individual foods, supplements, other wellness products. So these trials that we conduct are really key to not only developing novel, healthier products and to determining, say, new health benefits of foods, 
but they really help us to provide scientific validation for the claims that are being made and to try and help separate out the fact from the fiction. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Well, let's hope that this research is something that does help with memory loss and especially if it's something that can then be um, transferred to those who may be predisposed to dementia. I think it's incredible. Naomi, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me today. Dr. Naomi Kokoski, she's a senior research scientist at CSIRO. We are learning so much about these powerful little things called mushrooms. Just quickly, Gary's in Brighton. If you're quick, Gary, what's your recipe? Uh, Rochelle, hi. Um, yeah, I get the uh, the big flat mushrooms um, from the supermarket, and then I cut the stalk off, yeah. and then I get chop up parsley, rosemary, basil, anything you have you've got in the garden, really fine. And then I just put boccacelli cheese, slice that really thin, put it on top, pepper and salt, throw it in the barbie, and have that with the steak, and it's gorgeous. <laughs> I absolutely love these recipes. And what I love the most is the passion that comes through with these particular recipes. Gary, thank you. If you want to read more about this as well, there's a great piece done by our colleague Fiona Broom from ABC Rural. You can go to the ABC website and go to the ABC Rural site and look up some of the incredible research that we've been talking about today that Fiona's looked into as well. Thanks for all our mushroom talk today. It's been incredible. Take care. 